you know you are capable of more because you have a burning desire to get the absolute most out of life. To starve your fears, to follow your dreams, and to realize your true potential. And we are going to do that together. This is The Andy Stort Show. Let's go. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to The Andy Storch Show. I am your host, Andy Storch, and this is a show where we can come together to starve our fears, follow our dreams, and fulfill our true potential. And today, I've got a great interview for you with my friend, Michelle Sharp-Williams, and it is all about starving your fears, or as she says, do what freaks you out. And Michelle has been on an entrepreneurial journey since sixth grade when she was hawking fireballs in the back of the school bus. And over the last 20 years, she's run an B&B, a bed and breakfast, uh, become a high-tech executive recruitment firm, and recently the founder of the Women's BVU Mastermind, which she'll talk about on the show. Although wildly different, each venture and idea has been unified by a single passion to facilitate meaningful transformations through innovative humanization and doing what freaks you out, not to mention a truckload of grit and humor. Uh, She's traveled all around the world. She's been to six out of seven continents. And lately, she has been on a tear with her, what she calls the Do What Freaks You Out Tour, which is kind of her version of what we call Starve Your Fears, which means figure out what you're most afraid of and then go out and do it and know that growth and success will be on the other side of that. Uh, so in this uh, interview, we talk about uh, how how she got started. We talk about running a bed and breakfast in Charleston, South Carolina. And of course, we talk about overcoming fears to do the things that help you grow and all the amazing things that have happened to Michelle since she has been starving her fears and doing what freaks her out. This is a short interview, but I think it's a good one. I hope you like the energy that we had between us and that it provides you some value today. And I hope that you take the lessons and you go out, declare what you need to do, figure out what is your treasure and what is your cave, as you'll hear about in this episode, and then go do something that freaks you out and let us know about it. By the way, right after we finished recording this, Michelle and I were talking and I had asked her what freaks her out. And she said the biggest thing right now uh, that she's scared of is probably doing video and live video. I think she says it on this interview. And so right after this ended, I said, hey, can we do one more 10-minute interview about career development? Because she's been a recruiter for so long. And she said, sure, of course. And I sent her over to another platform. We went live on LinkedIn and Facebook and recorded a 15-minute interview on how to prepare for your next career change or really how to find your dream job on the down low, not going public about it. And I may publish that here or on the Talent Development Hot Seat. Not sure yet uh, where that's going to go, but it has been uh, live on LinkedIn, got her to do what freaks her out, and uh, it went really well. So if you're thinking about something that freaks you out, go do it. Let me know how it goes. I hope it's awesome. I hope you're awesome. Enjoy my interview with Michelle Williams. Michelle, welcome to the Andy Stort Show. I'm super excited to be here. I feel like this is a long time coming. I know, I know. Um, I think we met originally through our mutual friend, Vincent Puglisi, right? Who runs the Total Life Freedom Group. Yeah, I'm just excited to hear you pronounce his name because I've been wondering what the pronunciation of that is all along. <laughs> like I've known him for how many years and I still cannot pronounce his last name. I, just I pronounce Vincent. it differently every time. It's same with his first name. And, you know, I call him Vincent. His wife calls him Vinny. Uh, <laughs> I never know what to call him. But I'm glad that he connected us. And we've, you know, we've chatted a couple of times. We've kept in touch on Facebook. We've missed each other uh, over some live events. But we've got a mutual interest, I think, in, well, we, I think we have a lot of things in common, a yeah. lot of mutual interests. But one of the biggest is in helping people overcome fear to do what they love, to follow their dreams, to achieve their goals. People know me for that and the tagline, starve your fears. Uh, But you've got one that you've been out there with a lot lately called uh, Do What Freaks You Out and the Do What Freaks You Out Tour. 
And I definitely want to talk about that because I feel like I can always get better at this. And there's still things, plenty of things that freak me out. But before we do, I want to get into a little bit of your background because you've done some interesting things. You've been an entrepreneur since sixth grade. You've run a bed and breakfast. You've been in high-end recruitment for many years and run your own business. You know, I've only been in kind of entrepreneurship for a couple of years. So I'm always interested in learning from the veterans and the masters. How did you end up running a bed and breakfast? So, you know, I feel like I have always had, looking back, you know, if you look in your rearview mirror for perspective, is that I feel like I've had that entrepreneur bug in me. Like it was from an early age and you usually can like point back to a time. And I think truly for me, it was sixth grade and selling fireballs on the back of the bus where it was like, okay, you can come up with an idea and identify a need and serve that need. And so for me, it was fireballs for 10 cents in the back of a school bus where I have a captive audience that happened to have money because it was a private school. And so I think that after that, and then just having done some little things, of course, you know, as kids do, that when I was 27, I actually um, was involved in tourism in Charleston. And so I was really kind of embedded in that space. I couldn't help it, but just to think about what was missing and hearing from people about what asking for different suggestions and we didn't have it in town or things like that. And so just being really curious and also just paying really close attention to what people were saying and what people were talking about, what needs might be there. And so I actually started a tour packaging company before the bed and breakfast, but that put me and positioned me to be in this realm of people of owners that owned this bed and breakfast. They moved there to Charleston from Texas. And so they were new to Charleston and they came up to me one day and said, we have no idea what we're doing. We don't like tourism. We're not even sure we like Charleston, but would you be interested in buying this from us? They only had it six months. Would you be interested in buying this from us really just for the assets? And I went, well, let's, you know, let's do our due diligence, walk around and and check it out. And so yeah, I mean, it was right in my wheel. Like I knew, I think a big part of that was positioning myself and putting myself in the right sphere of influence. The whole, you know, like the average of five closest friends is who is in your circle. And so I just had some really interesting people in my circle. Um, a lot of them were entrepreneurs themselves. So, so that's how that conversation started. Interesting story to that is that we did our due diligence. I was 29 years old. It looked like it was going to be great. I knew I could flip it. That was my intention was to buy it and market it and flip it. And online tourism and tour booking was just coming out. TripAdvisor had just launched hmm. and we won some light up award of like TripAdvisor favorites. We were a small in, but that's just because TripAdvisor was so new and young. We were supposed to close the day after 9-11. I thought, I had to think really hard about it. Like, what was 9-11 going to, how is that going to impact tourism? And I just took a risk and it ended up being a great risk because people stopped flying, but they ended up driving to a lot of destinations. So Charleston skyrocketed. We were super busy. And so uh, it did great. Uh, How long did you end up owning it? It was about four and a half years. Did you buy it with other people? You were 29 years old. I didn't have money to buy it at BAB for you. Well, and here's the thing with Charleston is that because Charleston's a historic city, they're not building new spaces. So the leases and the properties there, for the most part, are controlled by old families that have owned the property for a really long time. And so most of the restaurants and shops and inns and all of that stuff in the historic district, you just negotiate long-term leases with options. It wasn't a land purchase. And so just buying it for like the beds and, and all of that that were in there was pretty cheap. Yeah. So it wasn't like I had to come up with, you know, half a million dollars, which I didn't. I just had to come up with $30,000 for beds and dressers and that sort of stuff. So it was a different, that's different when you look at it that way. 
Got it. And then you ran it for four and a half years. Obviously, it sounds like it was profitable for you. And eventually you you sold it and moved on to other things. I did. Yep. And how'd you get into headhunting recruiting? I know. And that's always ever recently. They're like, so you were in tourism for like 12 years. And then you end up in high tech internet of things, super geeky recruiting, you know, like those two are so totally unrelated. So I'd gotten married. I moved to south of where it was. So south of Charleston, moved to just outside of Hilton Head. And in moving there, having owned my own business for a long time, just kind of took time to be curious and look around the town and talk to people and what was what needs were there. And so I did that for about six months. And in the course of doing that, I talked to somebody that had a recruiting firm and I got recruited to be a recruiter. Honestly, they, they said, okay, you know, here's the thing. And it checked all the boxes for me of like, it was scalable, it was portable, I could do it in any town, I could learn it and do it myself. And so they assigned, you're going to be in the mobile and wireless space. And so it kind of fit because I was raised in a family of girls and I took on the role of the geeky boy. I, I did DOS programming when I was in my middle school <laughs> nice. um, with like one of the first IBM computers. So I just, I love that stuff anyway. Um, and so it fit. So that's where I ended up. And over the last 12 years have been recruiting for small, mid-sized companies and what's now the IoT space or all the connected stuff like connected watches and thermostats. And, and most of that time kind of running your own business? Four years. I learned it at the other firm that I had gotten recruited in. So I, I learned the ropes for four years and then left and started my own firm. Now, why did you do that versus staying with the firm? Are you just that pull for entrepreneurship? You just felt like you needed to do it on your own? Yeah, I do. Um, yes. I mean, is the making decisions and wanting to do it differently is that I saw even at that time, like they were really doubling down as a lot of firms were and continue to do is they doubling down on this automated process of like job boards and you list your stuff up on a job board. You wait for candidates to come in on a job board. That was before um, like machine learning or artificial intelligence was out, but that was it. It was not about like spending time and talk to people and get to know them and where they would be a great fit. So yeah, so I wanted to just run a business differently. And the recruiting model, when you work for a firm, they take half of your billings right out of the gates. So I went, no, I'd rather keep 100%. So if you're willing to handle a little bit of risk, the barrier for entry is pretty low, and then you can make a lot more money. That's exactly it. I mean, and that's why I think there's a lot of recruiters that started on their own because your startup costs and barrier entry is so low and minimal. It's a phone and a computer, truly, is that everybody gets in it thinking they're going to make a ton of money. It's just involved from the skill set side and relationships and reputation and that sort of thing. It takes a little while to build up. Awesome. Now, I think you and I share a, a bug for travel and adventure. I saw in your bio that you have been to six out of the seven continents. I have only been to five out of seven. I have not yet been to Africa or Antarctica, but I've been to Europe, Asia many times and Australia once. So what's your, is Antarctica your missing continent? Yeah, for sure. Where did that bug come from? How many, and how many countries have you been to? Oh my gosh, I don't even know how many countries I've been to. That would be interesting. I'm going to hang up with you and count them because that would be super interesting to figure that out. Where did the travel bug come from? I don't really know. You know, I think that super blessed that my mom took us places when we were kids. I remember going to Europe when I was probably 10. And I don't remember it as like some major poignant, you know, the skies parted and I said, oh, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. I knew that I loved that. I loved the different cultures. I loved the diversity. I loved the food. I loved the language. I loved all of that, you know, of just seeing all that's out there. For me, I think it's just the greatest adventure is going to each different place, you know, and now I think it's so much of it is becoming so similar, you know, and, and the differences between cultures and all that is the gap is closing. And so it, I almost feel a sense of urgency to like get out and go to more places. You're giving me a little bit of anxiety now. I'm like, oh no, I need to go travel more. 
I know, you know, like there's going to be KFC in the bush of Kenya. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's everywhere. I've traveled all over China and seen KFC and Pizza Hut everywhere. Tell me about this Do What Freaks You Out tour. Where did this idea come from and, and what is it all about? I'm so psyched to talk to you about this because you have the whole starving your fear thing. The whole topic has been one of the things that has opened my eyes and truly like one of those pivotal switches in my life of like, you're going down one direction, going, going, going. And then all of a sudden something happens and bam, it changes your direction. You know, like it's kids, kids can do that to you too. But a lot of different kind of life events where you're going in one direction and something happens that makes you switch and you turn a different way and kind of uncovering all of this has really been one of them. And it stems from just having done a lot of things and opened a lot of businesses taken lots of risks. It wasn't really about risk for me. And people would say, kind of applaud me for being fearless or brave or whatever. I didn't really see it like that. I just had a low risk tolerance threshold. Like it just didn't phase me. But having done all these things and having taken lots of risks and all that, and then here in my 40s, I'm 48. And so about 18 months ago, kind of looking up and just having that nagging feeling, I think so many of us encounter where it's like, what am I supposed to do? Like, I don't feel like I am totally living in the direction that I should. I don't even want to say purpose because I think that's the journey, but just feeling like something was missing. And I remember this quote that came across my desk that I have said a million times. And I think I even heard it from my dad a million times, who was a siding salesman. And I feel like I was raised by Tony Robbins listening to all of his stuff. So none of these kind of topics or quotes were new to me, but there was one that jumped out from Bob Proctor and it said, the treasure that you seek lies in the cave you fear to enter. And I had heard, it's one of those things, like I had heard it a million times. I, I probably said it. I've probably posted it on Facebook over the years and thinking, oh yeah, that's so good. But all of a sudden one day, like 18 months ago, I went, oh my gosh, like what? I know what my treasure is. Like I was really pretty clear on developing my vision and setting goals and feeling like I had a lot of clarity on what was ahead, but then realizing like maybe the thing standing between me and all of that and my vision and all that I saw as being possible was my fear and what I'm avoiding. And so what's the cave? You know, and I don't think I'd ever ask myself that question. I know what my treasure is and I have clarity around that, but where am I stopping? What is the cave that I'm not entering? What does that look like? And so I started to just pay a really heightened awareness to what was I saying no to and what was I backing away from and decided at that point I would immediately start saying yes. And so the, for one of the first things was at youth group or family camp with my son and I hate, and I say hate because it totally freaks me out. Nothing scares me more than getting on a stage, public speaking, Anything like that, like absolute sweat, airplane vomit bag situation, you know, without a doubt. And so at family camp, the director had come up to me and just said, hey, Michelle, one of our camp leaders or whatever hasn't gotten here yet. Can you jump on stage and finish the skit out with the other people? And I was like, <laughs> you've got the wrong person. Like, I have no idea what makes you think I am your girl, but I'm not your girl. And then immediately I was like, uh-oh, I have to say, yeah, like I have to say yes. And I told him the story. I was like, yeah, I said really quickly, I just, I am walking through this. And I said, so I have to say yes. And so I did. And my son was totally mortified to see his mom up on the stage. 13-year-old kid, head in hand moment. But just going through that and getting off the stage, and it wasn't even like what I said or what I did or the act itself or how good it was. It was the fact that I did it, that I was so totally exhilarated, you know, and like, man, this is the best high ever. Right. You did it. You didn't die. Yeah. Like, well, I didn't die. And what can I say next to yes? You know, what can I say yes next? And so that was the start of the journey. 
Oh, that's awesome. I love it. Um, I've had plenty of those moments. And uh, it's life changes when you make that decision that, you know, I'm going to say yes to the things that scare me because I've realized, and I don't know if I'm familiar with that exact quote that you gave, the treasure you seek lies in the cave you fear to enter. But when you start to realize that oftentimes if I'm afraid of something, it's because I need to do it or there's going to be a benefit to it or there's going to be some growth that happens if I do it. Then you start to really think like, well, what's the worst that can happen? You know, no one's going to shoot me on stage. So let me give this a shot. And I enjoy public speaking, but I don't know, doing a skit in front of teenagers, that would mortify me as well. And I think I'm <laughs> <laughs> just to lean into it. <laughs> it was, I mean, it has been, and like, as you said, you know, like knowing intellectually in your head, especially when you're in this space and you're kind of used to getting poured into and hearing quotes and personal development and all that stuff is that you could rationalize it in your head and it made complete sense intellectually, but you still weren't doing it, you know? And I realized that there were so many different ways that I really was backing away you know, and I think you and I had talked about this once is that cold calls, you know, and being on the phone, like from recruiting and marketing and that side of stuff, it's core to the business. And so that was the other thing I realized when I asked myself, like, where are you stopping? You know, like I'm walking right up to some cave and I know that if I went into that cave, it would make a dramatic transformation. And I knew that if I picked up the phone and I just started calling people and doing what I knew that I could do and I knew I was good at it. But I just was not doing it because it freaked me out because I didn't want to sound stupid or I didn't want to sound like I didn't know what I was talking about or hear somebody say no or rejection or none of which involved death. Right. Yeah. You're going to be okay. So did you start doing some cold calling then too? Yeah. Just for that reason to be like, I got to just prove that I can do this. And how did that work out? It worked good. I mean, I had great one. I had awesome conversations with people, which is my fuel anyway. You know, that is what uh, fuels my life. And it's been a little while, but I think I got a pretty big client for probably one of my biggest placements at the SVP level. And they end up being a great client. So just through the course of doing that and talking to new people and doing what I was supposed to be doing. That's amazing. I've avoided cold calling too throughout my career. Yeah. Everybody tells themselves that they hate it, you know, and you get good at it. Like it doesn't, it just, I don't know. It, I, I can't say I love it. It's practice like anything else, right? Yeah. I mean, it's not nearly as exhilarating as getting off of a stage after you said that and thought that you couldn't do it, you know, and you, and you did it. So I didn't have quite that high, honestly, after cold calling other than just knowing that I could do it, you know, and like I wasn't being held back by my fear. I think that's the root of the exhilaration. And tell me if you found this too, because I think this is so interesting to me, is the fear is all around the anticipation yes. of what will happen while you're doing it. You're not scared at all. Like there is zero fear in that moment. Yep, totally. There's a great uh, Will Smith video that he did about skydiving. I was going to say, I wonder if in skydiving, if that's true. Yeah. So I went skydiving. My wife and I went skydiving last year for the first time, uh, actually about a year ago. And the Will Smith video, you Google it and find it. It's, it's awesome. And it's very true. Up until the moment that you jumped, there's so much fear. There's fear about what could happen. And the way he talks about in the video is basically like, you spend all this time afraid when you're actually not in danger. And then the moment, and his video is so good because he talks about how the door opens and you realize you've never been on a plane with the door open before, you know, in the air. Uh, but you spend all this time afraid when there's no danger. And then the moment when you jump out of the plane, everything is just calm. I had a big smile on my face for the entire time while I was hurtling towards the ground. There was no fear at all until the chute opened and then it's like, oh crap, where am I? <laughs> 
but it's like a great metaphor for everything else. All the fear is in anticipation, whether you're giving a, a keynote. And, and I do a lot of speaking and facilitating as well. And I still, even though I love it, I still get really nervous leading up for the days and especially the minutes leading up to getting on stage. And then as soon as I'm on stage, I'm good. It feels great. It's fine. I'm there. If it, all the fear happens in anticipation. Completely. I mean, I think, you know, when you tie that to all the different things that I've done and all the ways that I've walked through fear from saying yes to go out on a date after not dating or anything for 10 years, seriously, and literally like hyperventilating in a bag before he was to arrive. No kidding. But in that moment, not being afraid or speaking on stage, which Vincent kind of talked me into and said, are you on this Do It Freaks You Out tour? And I was like, yeah, but I don't like speaking. He's like, when have you spoken? And I was like, never. He goes, how do you know you don't like it? You sure you're not just freaked out? So yes, I ended up on stage. And in that moment, same thing. Like it was all around the fear that was leading up to it. What was so cool to me, for me to also kind of realize as I've walked this out is that the whole first stages of fear, it was all about the fear. Like it was me saying yes and being hyper aware of what I'm scared of and the fear. And then starting to realize that it was so much more about faith, you know, of like knowing that you're okay and trusting that you're going to be fine and knowing that you're not going to die and that you will get through it and believing in yourself and the belief and the faith side of it. And then it's transitioned now recently um, where what I've become really aware of too is the surrender of like letting go of a need for things to go your way. And so it's totally about lack of control. And so knowing for me and looking back even on all those things, like in, in retrospect and even on the stage is that when I did the public speaking and going, before I got on that stage, I went, you know what? I don't need to sell anything. I don't need to look smart. I don't need to look like I have all the answers. Like my whole speech was not structured that way to begin with, you know, is that I'm just here to serve one person. Like if I just make a difference in one person's day or life, I'm so good. And so it totally let go of that from like an egoic perspective, you know, of like I need something. And so you're going to really work and sweat that you don't feel that need. And so totally surrendering that has been interesting and in watching how that really plays out in relationship to what you're afraid of and what that fear is anchored in. Yeah, you're so right. I mean, it's all ego and it's about control. And, you know, the more controlling you are, the scarier it is in those situations. I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I went through a course created by my friend Larry Yachts, who's a former Navy SEAL officer. He talks about how fear is nothing more than the perceived lack of control. And that after you do something and you gain that experience, then it builds the confidence. Uh, and that confidence, you know, builds more ability and, and more perceived control over a situation. So if you keep speaking in public and doing it multiple times, then, you know, the nerves may never completely go away, but you realize you're in control of your situation. And, you know, you're, there's not as much fear as you go into it because you've done it enough times to know that you're not actually in danger. Exactly. I mean, I think it's shaking up your subconscious and getting you out of your comfort zone and going, okay, you're not going to die and having to prove that by walking it out and walking through it. But so many people don't. They listen to their fear and back off. And then the more you do it, I'll just say this to somebody else is that the more you do it, the better you get, whether it's walking through it or backing up because of the fear. And so you get really good at backing up because of the fear and not ever getting through it. And so your world just gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Or you get really good at walking through it and things start to expand in ways that you could never imagine because you never took those first steps. Okay. So is there another example of a big fear you've gotten over or and or I want to know, is there something else that you've still been putting off that you're afraid of? 
You know what? I think that's so good. I try to keep like a list, like what is the next big thing? I'll kind of wrap up the story of, you know, kind of walking through another fear. So one of the big ones I touched on before was saying yes to go out on a date, you know, hadn't had been divorced for 10 years, independent, own my own business, house, all this stuff. Like, no, this is a total inconvenience. I don't want this. This is not anything I've prayed for. Why is this happening? And so literally like hyperventilating a bag, say yes. And just walking that out, like each stage of that has been doing what freaks you out. And I've, I lead a, a group of um, women in a mastermind. And so they all have started to see me walk that out in all of its different stages. And they now call themselves super freaks because they are on the do it freaks you out tour themselves. One, uh, I love this because this is my whole point about like, courage is contagious, is that they all were on their own little tour in some way. And one uh, went and signed up for The Voice and tried out for The Voice and has an amazing voice, but had been keeping it to herself. She didn't even know, her husband didn't even know she could sing. And so signed up for The Voice. Wow, that's cool. And so the epic stop on the Do It Freaks You Out tour is in 10 days this coming Saturday when I get married to that boy that asked me out 18 months ago. Oh my goodness. Isn't that crazy? If, if that isn't proof that you should do what freaks you out, <laughs> then I don't know what is. So you got, so we talked about cold calling. You got a client. You went on stage and embarrassed your son, which is always a win. And went on a date and met your future husband and you're getting married. That's it. We're getting married. And from I did that talk that Vincent talked me into doing. And now speaking is actually going to become part of my next kind of offering and rollout because I figured out I actually really love it. I looked at myself in the mirror, mic'd up and went, oh, this is kind of good. I kind of like this. But all those things, like none of that would have ever, I couldn't have even imagined it. Wouldn't have happened if you didn't take the first step and get uncomfortable. I was wondering how we're going to bring this all together for people listening. And if you're listening, you know you have those things that you've been putting off that you've been afraid to do. And here's proof right now that, and I have plenty of stories myself of doing scary things leads to such awesome growth and success. So what advice do you have for people who they're listening going, yeah, I know I've definitely been letting fear hold me back in certain areas of my life, whether it's work or relationship or whatever it is. If you're honest with yourself, everybody has different areas where they let fear hold them back. I still have those. You know, We all do. What advice do you give people that, that still have that? You know, I think one of the things that's it's like the first step in all of that is figuring out, you know, the front end of that quote is what's your treasure? You know, if you're not really clear on what your vision is and what it is that you want and start to put together what's possible in your imagination, you're not going to do anything that's challenging or difficult or certainly scary if you don't have that vision on what's on the other side. So I think that is absolutely pivotal in the first part of it. I know you're big in visioneering and goal setting and yeah, absolutely. And doing it every day. But if you don't have that in mind, you're not going to wake up in the morning and be super excited. Yeah, to do anything that's freaking you out. So get really clear on what your treasure is, figure out your vision, and then start to figure out too, where are you stopping? What's your cave? And really, as much as everybody like, oh, you can like map it out and prepare and research it and no, study. You gotta the jump statistics. in the pool. <laughs> totally. Like just say yes. Like you have to say yes. And you say yes to one thing that you realize like it makes you sweat and you're just afraid of that, is to say yes and walk through that. There is no amount of research or preparation that will give you courage. You just have to, you just have to do it. Well, the longer you think about it and prepare, um, this is why I use the phrase starve your fears, which I stole from Grant Cardone in his book, The 10X Rule, where you know, he says the longer you let fear sit there, the more it grows and you've got to starve it. You've got to basically like cut it out and say you're done and just take that action. 
I'm curious, has accountability helped you in this journey as well? I mean, you mentioned how courage is contagious and you've got the women in your mastermind group, but talking to people, telling people you're going to do stuff, having accountability partners, has that been helpful as well? It has, you know, it, it, and having accountability has definitely helped. But also too, is for me, just because this is something that is fuel for me and it drives me, is knowing how many people that I'm inspiring that I don't even know whose eyes are on me, you know? And then I think that is accountability to me, probably more so than true accountability of like, did you do it? But just knowing that there are people that could be waiting or that are watching me that I don't even know about that could end up doing something really fantastic with their life just because I did one small thing, you know, saying yes to. I have like taken on the mantra that I have to say yes to those things and be the first one to jump, you know, off the cliff or, you know, do the scary thing, partly because I feel like, oh, people know me for this now. So if I sit back scared, they're gonna be like, what the hell? You're the star of your fears guy. That's it. You totally get called out on it now. It's like wearing the t-shirt, you know, that has a phrase on it that you have to keep saying over and over again because then you convince yourself of it. But it's the same thing people call you out on it and they're like, oh, are you on the do it freaks you out tour? Are you telling me this freaks you out? So to that, how about this for accountability and freaking out is what's your next yes to what freaks you out? And I'll share mine too. And then we'll give, we'll have some real accountability with our audience. That's a good question. What is my next yes? I don't know. I don't want to pretend that there's, you know, nothing that I'm afraid of that I need to do. You know, there's a lot of treasure out there. You know, I'm writing a book right now and putting that out there is going to be a big thing. I think I've already started to put myself into the mindset that like, yes, I am going to be an author and I'm putting a book out there because there's the fear of like putting something like that out there and be like, buy my book. And then you're like, who the hell am I? Like, why would anybody want to write, read my book when there's dozens and dozens of other great books out there? But then you have to think like, it's only 10 or $15. Like, it's not a big deal. And I know that as I'm writing it, that I have so much knowledge to share with people. It's actually been a lot easier to write than I thought it would be. And so I don't feel that much fear around it. I think the thing that will scare me, and as much as I love speaking and I, and I want to one of my my big mission is to fulfill my true potential and inspire millions of other people to do the same. So I need to get on a lot of stages. Um, and one of the reasons I'm writing the book is to get onto big stages at companies and talk to people about taking ownership of their career. I think that the first few times I go to do that, like putting the book out there is one thing, but to get on the stage and say, let me tell you how to, to do this, to take ownership of your career. And like people are paying me a significant amount of money to do that. I know there's going to be a little bit of imposter syndrome in the beginning to say like, well, who am I to do this? I'm sure they could get plenty of other great people or experts or whatever it is. It's definitely going to be a little bit freaky in the beginning, but I know I'm going right for that. I'm not going to run away from it because I know the first few times I do it, I'm going to make some mistakes, but it's going to be awesome. And then whole worlds of opportunities will open up from there. But I've got to take the steps, do the right things to get there. I'm still writing the book. I just hired an editor that from TLF, uh, Jennifer Harshman, and she's going to help me get this thing set up for success. I know there's going to be some scary moments along the way, but I'm going to, I'm going to lean into all of them because I want it to be successful. I love that. And I know, you know, even like talking about recruiting and, and even to tie in what you were just talking about, about like getting booked on big stages, using your book is really kind of leverage or a step to get onto the stages and talking about recruiting and cold calling and all of that is asking for the sale, like asking to be booked onto the big stages, you know, and, and working through that imposter syndrome and, and even worthiness, I feel like comes into play too of like, am I worthy of this? Like, and for me to be asking for that can be hard. 
All right. So your thing is similar as you're, you're asking for more of those opportunities and I need to get better at that as well. So accountability, doing what freaks us out, going for no, going for yes, asking for more business, asking for the big opportunities. I'm trying to get better at that. Vincent's also helping me with that. I will end with a quick story. I always hate to admit this, but I'm afraid someone's going to like call me out and do this. But so you mentioned Vincent earlier who called you out to go on stage. He and his family came to visit us recently in Orlando on their way through town. My biggest fear is cockroaches. I hate them so much. And I live in Florida. I live in central Florida where they're everywhere. And they're not dangerous. Like the logic is just insane, right? I will let bees land on me, spiders crawl on me. I really do not have a problem with those insects. But cockroaches, I cannot, they freak me out. And they, you know, at least a couple of times a week, I'm up early in the morning, there's one in my house and I have to kill it. I'm mortified, right? And I've admitted this on Facebook and stuff before. You've made my day. Totally oh my God, that grossed me out so much. So Vincent and his family came to visit us recently when they have three boys and their boys love insects and bugs. Like they're obsessed, right? Especially their oldest son, Andrew. And he has like scorpions and he has a tarantula like in the van with them like on their tour. And even that, I'm like, okay, that's cool. The scorpion was a little freaky, but it still didn't freak me out as much as the cockroaches. But anyway, he has them out on my front porch, like just playing around. And I'm sitting there watching him. And he goes behind my house and he's like, oh, I just found this cockroach. And he's holding it in his hand because he wants to feed it to the scorpion. And he's holding this cockroach. It keeps running away and he catches it and picks it up. And I'm like, and he's trying to feed it to the scorpion. And I'm like, how are you holding a cockroach right now? This is insane. Is a 13-year-old or 14-year-old boy. No fear at all in that situation. I'm sure he's fear of, afraid of other things, but scorpions, spiders, um, and cockroaches, he's not. And I'm just watching him like repeatedly catch this cockroach and like hold it and try to feed it to this scorpion. And the scorpion's like, nah, not really in the mood. I'm just like, what is going on right now? I cannot believe he's holding this cockroach. To me, that's like the craziest thing in the world, but it just proves we all have our things that completely freak us out. That and just the fact that we fabricated it, it's in our heads. Like it's not real, you know, like it really is not that they're really deadly or they're going to hurt you or whatever, but totally fabricated in your head based on beliefs or experiences or whatever, but that it's not the truth, you know? And I think that's such a perfect example yeah. of oh, that. The, I mean, the, with the roach, the logic is insane because they are not harmful at all. They cannot hurt you. I don't even think they can bite, but oh, I just don't even want to touch them. <laughs> It makes me want to find a cockroach breeder, you know? I feel like my house is a cockroach breeder. They're like, you know, they're everywhere. Orlando, you know, lots of humidity. All right. Anything to add to that? What's your biggest fear? Do you have any other big fear? Yeah, I think the one that I've become really hyper aware of here lately is video, like online video and Facebook Live and any of those sorts of things and pushing out content on video. My big fear is that it's going to go viral for the wrong reasons. And everybody's like, do you know like how much work it takes to have stuff go viral? All right. Well, that's coming soon. I should have, dang, I was going to do this live on Facebook and I forgot, but we will publish the video just to get that out there. Oh, wouldn't that have been so yes, apropos? Well, we'll have to do that another time. <laughs> Michelle, for anybody listening that wants to get in touch with you, find out more about what you do, maybe join that women's mastermind you got going on, what's the best place for them to go? Yeah. So right now we're actually building out a Do It Freaks You Out tour website. So until then, for the women's mastermind, it is B as in boy, V as in Victor, U as in university, mastermind.com. So BVU 
which is best version of you, mastermind.com. And then you can find me on Facebook, which is Mojo Williams and Instagram as well. Awesome. All right. Put a link to that in the show notes. And I know you're on LinkedIn as well. And of course, Instagram and Facebook and all that stuff. Michelle, this is awesome. I just love talking to you. We have so much in common. And I love how you're putting this out there and inspiring people. And if you are listening to this interview, what is that one thing that you know you need to do? What is that treasure you seek? What is that cave you need to walk into? Do what freaks you out. Walk into that cave. I promise you, even if it's not a complete success, you will grow from crossing in there. And if you do that, reach out to Michelle, reach out to me, let us know how it went. I'd love to hear about it. Michelle, this has been awesome. Thank you again for coming on the 80s Sports Show. Yay, I love this. I feel like we should do this monthly or quarterly. This is energizing and it's exciting. It's contagious to hear everybody else walking through their fear. Makes me want to like seek something out and go do it. So thank you. Yes, courage is contagious. All right, take care, everybody. 